Welcome to Episode 3 of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. My name is Matthew. I'm the host and the primary author at the blog. And most of the episodes of this podcast will probably be me and another guest, but today I wanted to try something different. I'm going to try just soloing it, because I saw a movie recently that really made me think about a lot of the questions that the blog is wrestling with, and I wanted to talk about it a little here today. That movie was Suicide Squad. And and, and uh, to start, I should say that, and I've, I've said this a bit on the blog, but I wanted to go into it in more detail, there's an irony, because I am, obviously I'm, I'm writing a blog called Superhero Ethics. I love the genre of superheroes and the stories that it involves, as well as a lot of related ones like fantasy and sci-fi. But I don't really love the characters of heroes. Like Captain America and, and, and Tony Stark and, and a lot of the others are, are, are they're, they're fun characters, and I certainly enjoy the way they've been portrayed on screen, uh, on film and TV. But at the end of the day, they're, they're not really what brings me back. They're not really what, what makes me love these stories. And, and there's a number of things, and, and certainly some of the more kind of the anti-hero ones, like Batman, for example, can, can pull me in. But at the end of the day, really, the thing that I love most about these stories and, and that I judge them by is the villains. I, I can forgive almost anything else about a movie or a TV show if it really has a compelling villain. And in the same way, there's a lot of movies that I, I might enjoy and there might be a lot of great things to them. But if the villain is weak, I'm, not, I'm never going to think of it as one of the better ones. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a huge Marvel fan, and I love the MCU, to give just one example. But, but I think one of the biggest complaints, and I'm not alone in this, that a lot of people have with some of their early, with a lot of their movies, especially some of the early ones, is that a lot of the villains were pretty weak. Now, now what do I mean by a weak villain? Because it's going to be pretty essential to, to everything I want to talk about with Suicide Squad today. When I say a weak villain, I, I mean a mustache twirler. I mean the sort of person who rubs their hands and laughs maniacally about their evil plan because they are just so evil because evil is fun, you know, or because they want profit and they want power and they want money. But we never really learn why. Or or they want revenge, which which I, I, I guess I can sort of understand, but 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 it the kind of villains I'm talking about are the ones where they never really go a lot deeper. You know, Obadiah Stane, for example, in the first Iron Man movie, or, or um, some others like that. You know, here's a guy who, well, he wants more money and more power, and, and Tony Stark slash Iron Man is getting in the way of that, so he wants to, to kill Tony Stark, and then he gets into the suit, and it becomes kind of addictive, and so he wants more power, and I mean, that's just not very interesting. Like, sure, okay, you, you, you tell us he's a bad guy, and I guess I can believe we should want Tony Stark to defeat him, but there's not really much there to the character. And, and that's what I crave in a villain. I want to know why do they want to be evil? Why do they want to be bad? Um, and even those terms themselves, evil and bad, I think the best villains are ones who really question those terms. You know, I mean, to me, the very best villains, and, and I really think most villains should be written this way, are the ones who, if you asked them to tell you the story of their life, they're the good guy. They're the hero as they perceive it. And that, in a lot of ways, is a lot scarier. Because anyone can look at an Obadiah Stane and say, okay, well, sure, he's, he's clearly the bad guy. He should be, he should be killed. He should be stopped. Not killed, but, you know, he should be stopped. He should be, um, his plan's thwarted. 
but look at a villain who really believes that they're doing the right thing and may even be able to convince some people that they're doing the right thing. Now you've got a much more interesting and a much more compelling character, especially because the fight against that villain is much more nuanced and much more complex. You know, take for example a, a Wilson Fisk, who's the, for any of you who haven't seen it, the, the main bad guy, in, or the main antagonist, I should say, in the, the Daredevil stories. Um, or at least one, one of Daredevil's primary antagonists, and in the first season of Daredevil on Netflix, the, the Daredevil story that I know best, he's the antagonist. I, I should say here, by the way, something that I've said before in the blog, but I should say very clearly, I am someone who loves this genre of stories, and my primary knowledge of them comes from TV shows and from movies. I'm, I'm talking about characters that originated in the comic books, and I admit I myself am not a comic book reader. Um, I'm just not a very visual person. Something about understanding the stories as told in that in that very visual format, it just never has quite worked for me. I've read a couple of them and I've really enjoyed them, but but it's been a struggle. And 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 so frankly, I, I want to just be very clear from the beginning. I'm talking about things in TV and movies, and a lot of times my my discussion will be informed by things that I've read or that I've heard from others about how these characters are told in the comics, but. If you are a hardcore comic book reader and you want to see me as a dirty casual, go right ahead. Um, we don't need a hundred comments on the blog. Well, I, frankly, actually, I'd love comments I'm on the blog. But, but yes, I'm a dirty casual. I get it. I understand. But, but so going back to Daredevil, Wilson Fisk is a character who believes just as much as Matt Murdock, just as much as Daredevil, that he loves and cares about New York City and the specific neighborhood of Hell's Kitchen, and Wilson Fisk is utterly convinced that he has a plan to save it. And and more to the point, you, you get to a point in the story where Daredevil is thwarting him, and, and Wilson Fisk is acting as though Daredevil is the villain. Because in his mind, he, Wilson Fisk, is the hero of this story. He is doing something wonderful to save New York City, and how dare Matt Murdock get in the way of that. Now, we in the audience watching it, you know, the way the story is told, and I think for understandable reasons, I think where I, I would fall morally as well, you wind up rooting more for Matt Murdock than for Wilson Fisk. Because you probably come to think that Wilson Fisk's idea of how to save the city is going to cause so much harm to so many people that it, it isn't really going to help and that his, his, his motivations might be coloring him a little bit and allowing him to, to, to do things that, that are pretty terrible just because he thinks it is justified by his end goal. And, and so in the end, when you get to that final, final battle between Matt Murdock and Wilson Fisk, you want Matt Murdock to win. But you're not really rooting for Wilson Fisk to lose, because you don't hate Wilson Fisk. You don't hate Kingpin and want to see him defeated. And that, to me, is what makes him such an interesting villain. You know, I mean, take that, that famous picture that we've probably all seen on a, a thousand internet memes by now of Captain America punching Hitler in the face. You know, that, that must have been such a satisfying thing to see, because, I mean, in a very real-life sense, you can't get more villainous, you can't get more evil in a lot of ways than Hitler. But, but, but because of that, I kind of think of it, that, 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 that's kind of the scale, you know. It's satisfying to see Captain America punch uh, Hitler in the face. I don't really know if it would be satisfying to watch him punch Wilson Fisk. Because Wilson Fisk is so much more of a complex, nuanced villain. 
one who you may not side with, but it's hard to really root against. I, another great example of this is Magneto uh, from the X-Men stories. You know, uh, kind of connected to the Hitler comet, but Magneto is someone who quite literally lived through the Holocaust. He was a child at the time. His, his family was killed. and um, he, he is someone who has quite literally seen one of the worst possible things that can happen when one group of humans fears and hates another group of humans. Uh, another group of people, I should say, as is relevant. Be because so you understand, once you really think about what that means, that that has been literally branded into Magneto, I mean, quite literally branded, when you think of the, the tattoo he was given for being in one of those Holocaust camps, so what does that mean that he, that he has lived his entire life aware of what happens when one group of people hates and fears another? And now he sees his fellow people, his other mutants, the people he literally refers to as his brothers and his sisters, that other mutants, that hatred and fear of them is starting to grow among humanity. And he sees the potential for far worse. And so he is... I, I can't really blame him for him starting to think this has to be stopped right now because the potential for another Holocaust, for another time of humanity to say to this other group who we hate and fear and don't understand, we are going to wipe them from the face of the planet. Now, in almost every movie or TV show, I always find that I, I start out sympathizing quite a lot with Magneto. I start out sort of thinking that Professor X is kind of naive with his hope that everyone can just wonderfully live together and that Magneto may have a point. And as we get deeper and deeper into Magneto's plans and I start to see what he has in mind, that, okay, well, I, I'm not really sure I can, I can get behind what he's doing or I can really justify the, the means he is using to get to his end of protecting mutants especially because so often he seems to think the only way to protect mutants is to, to greatly harm or wipe out humanity. But I can understand where he's coming from. I can still see why he's so afraid and why that fear translates into the actions it takes. And so again, I, you know, on that same scale, I don't really want to watch Captain America punch him in the face. I may want to see a story where he's defeated, but, but it's not clear-cut. Now, I talked before about how I think a bad villain is the one who just laughs kind of maniacally, and of course there is one glaring exception, who is Joker. Joker, who I think is, is in many ways, you know, I think Batman is, is probably my favorite of the superhero genre. And not coincidentally, Joker is probably my favorite of the villains. And obviously Joker is the, the laughing maniacal one. But he's not, he's not laughing maniacally because the writer couldn't come up with a better motivation. Instead, he has the Joker is a character where we dive so deep into what does it mean to be that sort of agent of chaos, where it's not just about the maniacal laugh, it's about a maniacal laugh because you think all the rest of us who have any kind of morality are so ridiculous. The whole thing of Joker is to turn the very idea of morals and moral motivation completely on its head and to try to show that, that Batman especially and all the rest of them for trying to uphold a code or, or ethics or any of them, are just laughable. And that's what he's laughing at. And so it's not that I think you can't have that, but, but the bar has been set very, very high. So, so keeping with that, that framework that I've set up about what it is that I'm looking for in, in a villain story and, or, or a hero or a, a bad guy, and, and the whole point is to problematize those terms themselves, let, let's take a look at Suicide Squad itself. And I want to tell you a little bit about why I, I really liked what this movie did to this whole question. 
because what the Suicide Squad movie did, and, and again, I know that the Suicide Squad has been featured in other places, so this isn't new or original, and I have actually seen a lot of the characters introduced in, in other of the TV shows and things like that, but, but I am going to talk about it as not a new thing, but it's something that, you know, it's the first time on a, a big screen, and, and the first time that a lot of people have been exposed to it. So, again, not, not totally new and original, but a new take on it. But given all that, I, to me, what I think Suicide Squad does that is so interesting is it says, let's take this whole question and just throw out the hero to, entirely. Let's just not have a classic hero and just have a whole different retinue of, of bad guys and villains and see where they all fall. Now, I just made the little finger, finger motion of, of quotes around bad guys and villains. And as Paul, my friend, and uh, hopefully to be a frequent guest on this uh, podcast will comment. You may have been able to hear that in the tone of my voice. Kind of foolish to do it on a, a podcast, I realize. But but either way, the point is that bad guys and villains, th- those terms are in quotes, because I, I, I want us to play with that, the very idea of what those things mean. So let's look at who are the people in the Suicide Squad itself to start with, because I think part of what, what makes it so interesting from the beginning is that you have a wide range of motivations for why these people are bad guys. And again, I'm saying that in the quotes, but but the movie itself tells us that we are supposed to think these people are bad guys. It appears on the screen in the kind of cool graphical way they're introduced. And and um, Amanda Waller, who's the character who talks all of, who tells us their stories, she says very clearly, these are the baddest of the bad, the worst of the worst. But as we learn, it's for different reasons. You know, you do have some like Captain Boomerang, who are pretty much just straight up greedy. He robs, uh, he steals jewelry and he steals other things because he wants to be rich. And there, there may be some character motivation behind that that we don't really learn, but, but as he's presented in this movie, that's his motivation. And again, there, the problem to me, I, I, I have nothing wrong with that as one character among many. My problem is when that's the only villain we get again and again and again. But yeah, sure, as, as one of many, that makes sense. That's, that's one kind of villain. Then contrast that with someone like Deadshot. You know, Deadshot is presented to us as someone who will kill for money. Quite literally a mercenary. And he is, you know, he will negotiate about the price and he comes very close to not actually killing the person. But once his price has been met, put a bullet in his head, no problem at all. On that alone, you might think this person is a stone killer, the worst of the worst. And certainly, that's how he's presented by Amanda. But then you go a little bit deeper and you understand that, well, the reason he's doing this is because he wants to be able to create a life to sustain, to provide for his family, specifically his daughter. He wants to be able to be respectable in her eyes. He wants to be able to, to, to buy gifts for her and to, to provide a home for her and to eventually have custody of her again. And I'm sure a lot of us would say, look, you, you can do that without killing people. You, you can find a way to do that and, and, and uh, to question what he does. But certainly knowing that makes him a little bit different than someone like Captain Boomerang. Of course, we don't know why Captain Boomerang is doing things, so, so maybe there's some more depth there, but, but just in, in the little bit we're told about those two characters, there's a little bit of an interesting difference. And then you get someone like Killer Croc. Killer Croc, in some ways, was the character I wish we'd heard more about, because um, his is a story that I think gets told from time to time, but it's such an interesting one. Where, and I'm, I'm not quoting this exactly right, but, but uh, Amanda Waller says about him something along the lines of, you know, he, he came into this world looking like a monster, and he was treated like a monster, 
and so he became a monster. And, and right there, I mean, I am so glad that for the most part we've moved away from origin stories, but if you told me we were going to make a movie of, the, of this killer croc and his origin story, I would sign me up. I'm going to buy my ticket tomorrow for that movie. Because I think that is such a fascinating story. You know, there's so much research that's been done that says that people who are the worst bullies were often people who were bullied themselves. And on some level, that's exactly what you have with Killer Croc, as, as at least it's told to us in this tale. Someone who, we have no idea how monstrous he might have been to begin with, but because people saw him and were afraid, because people laughed at him and mocked him and feared him, he became the very thing that they, they told him he was. And, and even, even in this movie, we never see him, I mean, we see him being angry, but we never see him having that kind of, like, utter hate or, or want to destroy everything. He's, he's just a guy who's, who's been told he's a monster, and so he lives as a monster. To me, that, that's, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying let's go have Killer Croc go out and bite people and steal things and do whatever he needs, but I don't want to see him punched in the face by Captain America. I, I have some sympathy for the Croc. And, and then now let's get to the member of the team who an awful lot has been spoken of, and I'm going to be clear, I'm not going to try and dive into all of it, Harley, Harley Quinn. And, and here we have a character who, who has been um, seen quite a lot outside of, obviously, just this, just this one movie. She's been very popular in the comic books. Um, I have, she did start on the screen in Batman the Animated Series, and so again, I haven't read many of her comic books, but I've, I've seen a lot of the way she's been portrayed in, in other TV shows and, and some of the video games and things like that. And, and you could fill entire libraries or hard disks with the amount of blog posts and podcasts and articles that have been written on Harley and especially on Harley's relationship with the Joker and on whether that is a healthy relationship or not or whether the way it is portrayed is, is helpful or is, is hurtful um, and, and how this movie portrayed it. And, and I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to try and, and peel, peel all that back because that's such a deeper topic. I, I, I will say that I fall pretty clearly on the side that says that I think the, my understanding of their relationship is of a pretty unhealthy one and of a, um, a really deeply codependent and abusive one. Um, where, where Joker treats her with little to no respect, and yet she keeps going back to him. And, and that I think some of the best Harley stories are the ones where she starts to see that and starts to break away from that. And, and so I'm definitely with those who have some problems with this particular movie because of the way that they romanticize that relationship with Joker and Harley. And I, I, I don't think that was a right choice, and I, I, I really had some problems there. But again, because that has been covered in so much detail by so many other places, I, I want to focus on a different thing, which is I just want to look at why does Harley do the things she does? Why is she a villain? You know, and, and she happily claims that line. You know, she, she breaks into a store as they're walking through the city and steals something pretty, and, and someone asks her, why is she doing that? And she says, because we're the bad guys, remember? Um, so she's pretty clear on that, but, but again... Because she's not just that mustache twirler. There is something really interesting behind it. I want to look at why. And, and I think the, the easiest motivation to see, and it is clearly a big part of it, is that she is in that same mode of the Joker of just loving and embracing anarchy and chaos and, you know, pure id. And why the hell not? And I'm going to laugh at you and all of your silly rules and I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. You know, there's that great line in the second of the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, The Dark Knight, where Alfred, you know, is explaining 
the Joker and, and why he might do the things he does. And he tells the story of his time in Burma. Burma and he says that, um, Mr. Wayne, some people just love to watch, some men just love to watch the world burn. And, and well, I, I think he, need, he needs to make it some people to include Harley. I definitely think Harley fits under that. There's an element to which Harley, like the Joker, just wants to watch the world burn. And let's be honest, she's a fantastic character, and I think Margot Robbie did a great job capturing that aspect of her. In many ways, I think she, um, after Amanda Waller, is one of the absolute best things about the movie. But I also think, and I think this is shown in a lot of the other versions of Harley, but, but this one did a really good job of highlighting it, there's a second level to Harley's motivation, which is loyalty and a desire to protect and stand up for the people she cares about. You know, I mean, think about how often she's, you know, you, you get a story where Joker is, is doing some elaborate plan, and as Batman is trying to stop the Joker, Harley comes in and, and does or attempts to do something truly horrible to Batman to stop him. Um, you know, hits him with her incredible hammer or with her bat or fires a bazooka at him or, or lays out some elaborate trap or something. And, and some of the scenes in which Harley is fighting Batman are, I think, some of the best we've ever seen. But it's interesting because almost always in a moment like that, you know, Joker has his own personal feud with Batman. Joker wants to defeat the Batman as part of Joker's sort of whole, whole idea of, of chaos and anarchy. But for Harley... She wants to hurt Batman because Batman is trying to hurt Joker. Or because she knows how important this plan is to, to Joker, and she knows that Batman is trying to stop it. You know, how often do you, do you hear Harley say something like, you know, why do you have to ruin everything? Why do you have to ruin Mr. J's plans? Why do you have to, you know, get in the way of what Mr. J is doing? She, she, she shares Joker's anarchy and chaos, but she also, because she loves him, and again, whatever you, we think of the health of that love, but because she loves Mr. J, she loves Joker, she wants to do anything she can to prevent Batman from, from, from stopping the Joker and what he wants to do. And this movie, we get that because we see her do that not only for the Joker, but for the Suicide Squad, for the, the members of Project X, who she starts to develop a real fondness for. And we get to that last final scene of the, the confrontation with the Enchantress. And it is Harley who, who is able to stop the Enchantress, you know, or at least to, to start the whole process that eventually takes the Enchantress down. And she says she's going to do it to protect her friends because the Enchantress wants to hurt her friends. I thought that was such a brilliant moment of showing this interesting side of Harley that, yes, she's doing terrible things, not, not necessarily in that moment, but certainly in a lot of other parts of her story, but she's doing them out of loyalty for the people she cares about. Again, does that justify the things she does? Well, that, that's a much more difficult question. We're told flat out that she killed Robin. That's not something I can say, well, you know, she loves Joker, so that's okay. But I can't see her as a mustache-twirling villain either. Once again, I don't, I don't really want to see Captain America punch her in the face, because she's not Hitler. She's not a terrible, evil must be destroyed, and anything against her is okay, villain. She's a person with a lot of interesting, complex nuances who's doing some pretty bad things. And so that's what we get from the Suicide Squad, and, and I want to, I think that one of the things the movie does so well is the way it contrasts that with the antagonists of the story. And, you know, 
on the surface, it seems, the primary antagonist is Enchantress. And I'll be honest, this is a movie that I'm, I'm, I'm speaking very favorably about. There was a lot I didn't love, and, and I thought the Enchantress was one of the weakest parts of the movie. Um, and certainly, she's not great by this villain scale. I mean, she's... I guess she used to have a lot of power, and so now she doesn't have power, and she's mad about that, and so she wants to destroy everything, and she's got some plan that involves a portal, and apparently means she has to undulate her hips at every moment she's speaking for reasons that never really get under explained. Um, you know, it, she's a pretty weak villain when it all comes down to it, and and I can't say I really cared that much about her story, but and I don't. I actually don't think that was intentional necessarily, but part of what it does is to highlight who is the real antagonist behind the whole story, and I think one of the most interesting characters in the, in this movie or in this entire universe, because she really sort of makes us throw out this whole idea of a good guy or a bad guy, and that's Amanda Waller. You know, Amanda Waller is a character who, again, has been introduced in some other great ways, especially in Batman the Animated Series, she, she's introduced a little bit in Arrow, though I don't love her there because they, they make her younger and sexier in ways that I think are really unnecessary, and I really appreciate the way they, they stuck more to the original in this. But, but she is a character who, you know, even more than Wilson Fisk, is utterly convinced that she is doing the right thing. And let's step back for a minute and ask why. She is a person who has watched people with godlike powers come to her planet. She has watched people with godlike powers fight on her planet, and she has literally been thinking about the idea of a possible extinction-level event happening for for her and the rest of humanity. You know, she's not she she is she's a patriot. She's she's defending America, but but it's not just that. She's defending the world, and and think about about why. You know, we earlier we saw a movie. Where, where someone as intelligent as Batman himself is is really asking this question of how much can we trust Superman and, and someone with his powers? Um, and I, I'll be the first to say I think Zack Snyder did a, did a terrible job of of asking that question. Um, certainly, the world's greatest detective should not be fooled by Lex Luthor ever. But but certainly, it is still an important question to ask. And and I can understand someone like Amanda Waller looking at this and saying. What happens if Superman has a bad day? What happens if another General Zod comes along? Or some, now that we know that some kind of alien is out there, what if there's another kind of alien? And, and really saying, do we really want to just trust all of humanity to the goodness of an alien? Well, I, I'm not sure I would answer that question the same way Amanda Waller does, but I certainly can't blame her for asking the question. And... And it, it makes it a really interesting thing because Amanda Waller is probably the only one in this entire movie who is utterly, fully, completely convinced that she is the good guy. You know, El Diablo is racked by guilt. Killer Croc thinks that he's been put upon, but he's, he's probably still kind of a monster. Harley says, who cares about being good guys or bad guys? Killer Croc, um, Captain Boomerang just wants to rob people. Deadshot, you know, knows he's doing bad things for good reasons. Amanda Waller is completely convinced that she is the good guy. And I think that's interesting because I think on some levels, she's probably the worst of all of them. She's certainly the, the worst killer of any of them, other than Enchantress and her brother. You know, she, 
whatever Deadshot kills one specific person because he's paid to, you know, other, you know, Harley killed Robin, and that's obviously pretty horrible. Amanda kills 10 of the agents who work for her, 10, uh, or I'm making up that number 10, but it certainly, it seems like it's a, it's a handful, maybe it's six, maybe it's 12, um, I don't remember exactly, but she kills a number of people who work for her and trust her, not because they're bad, not because they're terrible, but just because she doesn't trust their ability to keep a secret. I mean, that, that's some pretty bad stuff. But she's doing it because she is convinced that this is what has to be done to save the world. And here's where the movie gets really interesting. Because what Amanda Waller does in putting together this team saves the world. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which you can say she didn't have to do it this way and that she could have asked the team to, to work together in a better way without threatening their lives. And she, she certainly didn't have to kill those fellow agents. And maybe she could have called on Batman or Wonder Woman or The Flash or whoever else lives in this, in this expanded DC universe we have. So I don't think that her methods were necessary. But she was right that there were going to be more extinction-level events, and the actions that she took led to one of those extinction-level events being stopped. So how easy is it to hate her? I, I certainly can't. I, I can think she's wrong. I can think she's bad. I can think that she's an incredibly powerful story because she's a reminder to us of how easy it is to do terrible things because we think we are doing the right thing. And that's the real power, I think, of it, is that it's not that Amanda Waller is a, is a mustache-twirling bad guy. What makes her such an, a compelling character, and I thought was perfectly played and so well-written, is that she utterly is convinced that she's a good guy. And she makes us think about what happens when we do the same. You know, I, I, the reason why I love these movies is not just because I think they're interesting, but because I think they hold up mirrors to our own worlds and to our own universes. You know, I, my first blog post was where I talked about Captain America versus, versus Team Tony versus uh, Team Cap. And I talked about how obviously none of us are in a situation like that. But what that movie talks about is questions of individual freedom versus collective security and how you have to find the balance between those two. And those are very real questions for us today in our world. And I think the exact same can be said about really thinking about what does it mean to be so convinced that you're the good guy that you think anything you do is okay? Or on the flip side, what does it mean to be convinced that, that anybody who is against you is a bad guy unless you can villainize them and dehumanize them? And what does that mean? I mean, I... I I, I think you can certainly see this in geopolitics. You can see it in, you know, how many times has the United States as a country decided that, well, we're against Saddam Hussein, so anybody who stands uh, against him must be, must be a good guy. How well has that worked out? Or look a little further back to when we said anyone who's going to stand with us against the communists in Afghanistan, they must be heroes. The, they must be the, the good guy because they're against the bad guy. Hasn't worked out too well. And I think you could look at that from any political perspective in any kind of geopolitical situation. But you don't even have to get political. Just think about in your own personal life. I mean, I can't think of how many times I've had a situation where a friend of mine came to me and told me about a fight they had had with a spouse or with a friend or with a parent or, or, or someone and, and 
the way they told the story, it was very clear that they were the good guy and the other person was the bad guy and that they had been wronged. And in situations where I got to talk to the other person in the situation, it quickly became pretty clear that that person also was convinced that they were the good guy and the other person was wrong. When we hold on to that idea, that very idea of a good guy and a bad guy, it makes it so hard to really see the nuances of these situations, the complexity that's going on. I mean, and you might even be like someone like me who, who has uh, such an easy sense of uh, self-deprecation that, that frankly, it's not that I always think I'm the hero in a story. I'm pretty quick to leap to the idea that I'm the villain of the story. If someone's mad at me, it must be for a good reason. And, and I, I'll be honest, like a lot of people, often it is. But sometimes it isn't. The situation is honestly probably a little bit more nuanced. And, and that's what I think is so important about this movie. And, and some of the other, you know, it's not, as I said, it's not the only one who's done this, but, but so interesting in the superhero movies that really make us question the very idea of what does it mean to have a good guy and a bad guy. And, and here's why I have to say, one of the things I've come to love most about this movie, the more I thought about it, is the very ending scene. The scene where the Joker rescues Harley. Now, I'll be honest. As I said, I, I, I'm speaking very praisingly of this movie, and I, I thought there were a lot of parts that weren't too good about it. And I'm definitely in the camp that sees Jared Leto's Joker as one of the worst. Now, now granted, between Mark Hamill and Heath Ledger, and, and even some of the others, but those two especially there were some very big clown shoes to fill, and I just don't think Jared did a good job of it. I, I've never really liked him much as an actor, and, and I thought his acting as the Joker was very forced. Um, again, this is an ethics show, it's not a movie review, but, but I, I do kind of want to make that point. But nonetheless, there was something wonderful in that final scene. Because, so we've had this story of this bunch of villains if you take that kind of language, who've become heroes. You know, they have quite literally saved the world. And it's so easy to therefore see that as, oh, they were always just misunderstood, or they were never really villains, or now that they've been given the chance to be heroes, now they're heroes. And, and it's easy to take that kind of a story and run with it, and to think, now they're just going to go off and, and save the world, and be buddies, and maybe they'll cut a little corners, because they're, they're kind of scamps. But, but they're heroes now. And what happens in that last scene? Harley, who has you know, probably done more than anyone else on the team to, to be good, you know, she, she, she turned away from Enchantress's offer so that she could help defeat Enchantress, and now Joker is offering to break her out of prison and take her back into a life of crime and mayhem, and the smile on her face as she joyfully walks into his arms and back into that life. Now, and of course, there's an extent to which you can say she's, this is a prison break, and, and that alone, you know, anyone would want to be out of prison. But I don't think there is any doubt that the minute Harley is back united with Joker, she wants to go right back to that life of chaos and mayhem and crime and killing Batman's friends and maybe even killing Batman himself. And if they have to kill more people along the way, well, who the hell cares because they're the bad guys. And that's what I loved because I love that it, they didn't decide to make Harley the hero. Har Harley isn't now a good guy. Harley is someone who was placed in a very strange, very difficult situation. And in that situation, she and others made choices that made the world a better place. That, that prevented a possible extinction-level event. So by that definition, is she a hero? Absolutely. But is she still a villain? 
Absolutely. And that to me is what Suicide Squad it does at its best. Is it really makes us question this whole idea of good guys and bad guys, of hero and villains. And start to think about what does it mean if we just tell when we just tell stories about people in all of their complexity and all the complexity of their motivations and who may sometimes need to do heroic things and sometimes may, might do villainous things. But at the end of the day, we can't just judge them by calling them good guys or bad guys. We have to judge them as they are. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this third episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. As I said, this was an experiment, seeing what it would look like to do it just as solo. I'm looking forward to having some great guests coming on in future episodes, and we'll keep seeing how it works. Please let us know what you think. I'd love your comments. I'd love your feedback, either on the blog or on the iTunes store. Uh, you can check us out at SuperheroEthics.com or by searching for Superhero Ethics on iTunes. Thank you so much. Please tune in. Please share this with your friends and have a wonderful day.